Okay, take your Bible this morning, John chapter 20. Again, we're, we're kind of in between our Colossians series and our Christmas series, and I've been reading through the Gospels uh, the last couple of weeks just to, you know, spend time in the Gospels. And uh, this past week, I was in the book of John, and I love John's Gospel account. Uh, I love all of them, but John has a, a pretty powerful um, point to his gospel account. Really, John's gospel account reveals Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Uh, that, that's the main point. He, he's revealing the very deity of Christ. And in John chapter 20, and, and if you got your Bible open this morning, most of the, the, the verses are not going to be on the screen this morning, which is why you want to bring a Bible to church. And so let me encourage you to bring your Bible, pull it up on your phone. Uh, John chapter 20 and verse 30 John tells us that there's a lot of other stuff that Jesus Christ did that, that was not written in his gospel account. So in John chapter 20 and verse 30, it says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so John tells us that the purpose of his gospel account specifically is so that you and I can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and when we believe that, we can have eternal life through his name. That's a tremendous promise from God's word. That's a tremendous focus. John's gospel focuses on the deity of Christ. Well, this morning, as, as we get into the John's gospel right at the end, there, there's a passage, a couple of passages that this week, as I was reading and just studying, I felt like, man, that's really cool. And, uh, and I, I felt like God gave me some things from my own life. I wanted to share uh, some things from, from the book of John with us as a church. At the end of John's gospel, this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus appears to his disciples three different times at the end of the book of John. And I, and I think that there's just something very interesting about when Jesus appeared to his disciples uh, and what they were going through in their life after the resurrection of Christ. Listen, life still had its challenges. Those disciples were, were living in fear of the Jews. Uh, they were still under Roman uh, governmental persecution. Their master, their teacher had been betrayed, falsely accused, uh, crucified. I mean, things were kind of rough. For, for, for the early disciples of Christ. They had challenges that they were facing, even though Christ had died and had risen again from the dead. And, and John's gospel account gives us three different occasions that the Lord Jesus showed himself to his disciples after the resurrection. And, and I, I think for us, it's really important because I think the Lord wants to reveal himself to us just like he wanted to reveal himself to his disciples. And so the, the message entitled this morning is, is very simply, Jesus Revealed, right? Jesus Revealed. We make, a lot of, we make a lot of a big deal about reveal parties in our culture, whether it's you know, having a baby, gender reveal party, and, and all the different things. And so hence the, hence the paint exploding. And you know, you got to use all the colors because it's Jesus. And, and, and I think as we study these three accounts of his revealing to his disciples, that we're going, to learn some, we're going to learn some key principles for our own life. It is interesting in the, in the book of John that the Lord revealed himself three times to his disciples. And, and there's a principle in the Bible that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word gets established. Have you heard that principle before? Uh, like in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 17, you couldn't 
you couldn't be condemned to death without two or three witnesses. So, so there had to be a standard of two or three witnesses to prove that someone was guilty, ultimately, that would lead to their, their punishment. Even in Matthew 18, when, when Jesus talks about being restored to our brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, okay, you go one-on-one to try to reconcile if, if your, your brother is offended or if you've offended your brother. But if that doesn't work, you take two or three witnesses with you so that every word may be established. Many of you know that, that principle, right? Even Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, said in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1, this is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And so God has a pattern that when he really wants to establish something, he does it two or three times. It's a pattern. It proves whatever it is that's happening on the, on the second or third time that it is absolute true. It's absolute uh, assurance that this thing is happening. Oh, by the way, he's proving that he is the resurrected Christ. He's going to reveal himself to his disciples three times and, he, and he's just proving, as a matter of fact, if you, if you skip over to John 21 and verse 14, it says, now this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established, right? In uh, two or three witness accounts, something is verified. Jesus is going to prove his deity. He's going to prove his resurrection by revealing himself three times to his disciples. Okay, so that's all the introduction, but but I'm going to pray and then we'll get into the specifics. Each time that he reveals himself to his disciples, man, those guys were living life just like we're living life. In other words, when he shows up and reveals himself to them, things aren't always perfect. They weren't always perfect. There were challenges, there were difficulties, there were obstacles in life, and yet the Lord revealed himself in the midst of those circumstances to to let them know, hey, I'm God. I'm still God. I I died for for all of our sin, for your sin, but but I'm resurrected and I live forevermore. And and I think God wants to remind us in, in some of the challenging situations of life that we find ourselves in that the Lord still wants to reveal himself to us and that we can trust him. He is God and we can trust him. And so let's pray and, and we'll, we'll get into the text very quickly as we, as we get going here. Father, we love you. Thank you again for the morning. Uh, Lord, I, I'm so thankful for a, a week of thanksgiving uh, where we spend time reflecting and rejoicing in your goodness. We thank you for the blessings that you give us with family and with friends and with food and with fellowship. And, and Lord, it has been a good week maybe a little different this year than what we normally would expect or experience, but, but we're still thankful that you're good and, and you're in control, and we're, we're thankful that you provide for us, and we're thankful that we can do what we're doing this morning uh, freely in this country to, to gather together to worship you and to worship and, and, and sing praises to your name and, and to, as Cody's saying, Lord, just experience fellowship with you, that, that our desire is, is just to be intimate and personal with you, to know you, uh, and to experience the fullness of Christ in our life. And so, Lord, thank you for that this morning. I pray that as we, we open the Word of God, you'd speak to us and challenge us and encourage us to be more like Christ. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so the, the first point you want to get to, uh, before I give you the point, I want you to go to, to John chapter 20 and verse 19. And we're going to read verses 19 to 23. It's in your Bible. And then I'm going to give you the point after we read it. John 20 and verse 19. All right, here's the first instance of Jesus revealing himself to his disciples. The Bible says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. And, and, and what we need to understand is, when Jesus first revealed himself to his disciples, they were assembled in hiding and in fear of the Jews. And so your first point this morning for study is this, in the midst of our fear, we still need to see Jesus Christ. In our fear, the Lord wants to reveal himself. Christ didn't wait for, he didn't wait for these disciples to have perfect faith. He didn't wait for them to have perfect uh, church attendance. He didn't wait for the circumstances to be perfect. They were assembled for fear of the Jews. Listen, the doors were shut, and they were monitoring who was on the outside. The fear of the Jews, listen, they, they literally were scared to death for their life. Uh, they probably had limited uh, size gatherings that were allowed in the first century, and they were probably taking roll. Who, who is assembling in Jesus' name? And, and I'm just telling you, listen, the fear of the Jews had these people spooked to death. We see that all the way through the book of John. Uh, in John chapter 7 and verse 13, the Bible says, Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Even people that believed in Christ didn't openly profess him because of fear of what other people would think, P fear of, of what the Jews would do to persecute them. In John chapter 9, uh, Jesus healed a man that was born uh, blind from his birth. And, and, and listen, uh, you know, the whole story is a pretty interesting story, and people are trying to figure out who is it that healed this blind man. And so the Pharisees go and ask the parents, hey, is this your son? Is this your son? And, and, and because they feared the Jews, John chapter 9, verse 21 and 22, because the Jews had already agreed that if any man professed Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue, the parents said, hey, why don't you go ask him? He's old enough. You, you go ask him. We're not even going to answer the question. Why? Why would they even answer the question? Because of fear. Because, because, because of the fear of the Jews, no man would profess Christ openly. John chapter 19, verse 38, it says, After this, this is after the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, listen, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. You know, we have the same type of disciples in the 21st century that we do in the 1st century. Disciples that live in fear, that don't openly profess the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and again, listen, we all fall into that category at times. I want you to understand, in the midst of our fear, what we need to see is Christ. We, we need to see Christ revealed in our life. And so, 
They were assembled for fear of the Jews, and yet Christ came and stood in their midst. And it's just a reminder to us that, that in, even in our fear, what we need is we need to experience Christ. When Christ shows up, he says, peace be unto you. He offered peace. He didn't offer criticism. He didn't offer judgment. Uh, he, he, he didn't say, hey, why are you chickens hiding out in the house? Why aren't you out there doing what I told you to do? He, he, he just offered peace, and they were glad. The Bible says they were glad when they saw the Lord. Can I just tell you that if you live in fear as a disciple of Christ, the thing that you need most is to see Christ. And you're not going to see him visibly. The Lord's not going to pay you a visit and you know, have coffee with you uh, at Rooster's Crow or, or eat good Chinese food with you. But, but the way you're going to see him is through the eyes of faith. You're going to see him through the word of God. You're going to see him through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to see him as we are assembled together with his body the church. That's what we need in our fear. We need to see Christ. And and I'll just make the point, not to be dogmatic, but they were together. They were assembled together, and that's when Christ showed up. And listen, again, the challenges that we face, we are fearful of all things and everything. We're scared of a disease. We're scared of a virus. We're scared of what people would think. We're scared of persecution. And yet, in the midst of our assembling, the Lord can reveal himself to us. And, I, and I, again, it's important that we understand that, that the Lord shows up when we're together. Uh, you need the body of Christ, and the body of Christ needs you. And, and what's interesting to me in verse 21 is, it, is when the Lord shows up, he reminds these disciples of really what they're to be about. Look at verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you. And again, there's no period at the end of that. So, so the Lord didn't just show up to offer peace. He did offer peace, but he says, As my Father hath sent me, even, though, even so send I you. He reminded them of the mission. And so it, here's the key point in your notes. Look, in our fear, we need to focus on the mission. And the Lord, when he revealed himself to his disciples the very first time, what he did was he reminded them, hey, listen, Remember, the Father sent me, and, and I just want to remind you that I'm sending you. We have a mission to accomplish, and you can go back, you don't have to, but in John 17, remember, Jesus Christ said concerning his mission from the Father, I've glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And that's in John 17. You have to ask, what, is, what was the work that he's talking about? Because he didn't get crucified in John chapter 17. He, he tells us in the very next verse, in, in, in verse 5, he says, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had before, uh, with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest me them, and they have kept thy word. The point is, Jesus had a work from the Father to finish. It was to make disciples. And in John chapter 17, the Bible says that he had finished the work. And, and that's well before the cross. He, he finished the work of manifesting God's name to a group of people. And, and, and I want to remind us, church, listen, in, in the days of fear that we live in, 
We need to see Christ, and when we see Christ, we're going to be reminded that we have to focus on the mission at hand. God gave us a mission to accomplish. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, even so send I you. The Great Commission hadn't been canceled. It's not on hold. COVID hasn't affected it. Whoever won the election, we'll never know. It doesn't matter. It hasn't affected the mission. It has not affected it. Jesus said, because my Father sent me, I'm sending you, and we need to be about his business. Fear is no excuse. We experience fear. Aren't you, aren't you thankful the Bible is black and white and just simple? We experience fear. Jesus reminds them, okay, you can have peace, and I go be about my business. I'm sending you to accomplish the mission. The second thing that he, that he, that he reminds them or tells them is in verse 22, and when he had said this, In other words, when he had said, I'm sending you to do the mission, he breathed on them. And by the way, that's not COVID appropriate, by the way, right? Not in the 21st century. I mean, Jesus didn't have a mask on, and they didn't either. He breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Okay, now, (laughs) isn't it crazy? You read passages like that, and you look at our culture, it's like, man, did he really do that? I mean, he he would be charged with like assault if he did that today. Uh, breathing on other people, God forbid. Okay, well, here's the point. He says, receive the Holy Ghost. Okay, so, so the second principle under this point is this. In our fear, we need to be filled. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need, if He's going to send us, and He has, we need the power of His Holy Spirit to accomplish it. And, and here's what you need to know concerning this portion of text. Listen, this is not the day of Pentecost, The Holy Ghost is not indwelling the disciples of of Jesus Christ at this point in the book of John. That didn't happen until Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came and sealed and indwelled those disciples. And, And listen, that's going to happen. But between John chapter 20 and Acts chapter 2, the mission is still in effect. And they needed the Lord's power. They needed to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and, so, and so, just a reminder, until the day of Pentecost happened, the disciples still needed to operate in faith, not fear, and they needed to have God's power. They needed to have God's power. Can I just tell you, and you hear it a lot at this church, if we're going to do what God's called us to do, we need His power. Now listen, if we walk out of here and try to do it in our power, how well do you think that's going to work? It's not going to work. As, as a matter of fact, I think from John 20, we see the extent of our power. Uh, we'll just end up hiding in fear. We may even assemble together, but, but we won't be doing what God's called us to do. We, we need his power. And so he breathes on them and says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Again, in the Old Testament, all the way up until this point, uh, it's just like in the Old Testament economy, uh, the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost could come on people, on people, off of people, in people, out of people. It wasn't until the day of Pentecost that he sealed uh, the believer in Christ. You can go to Ephesians chapter 1 that tells you that now you don't need the Lord to to breathe on you. When you got saved, according to Ephesians chapter 1, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so so you got all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. The rest of our life is really letting the Spirit of God have the the rest of us. That's the point, right? It's... We're even commanded, you you guys know this verse, Ephesians 5 and verse 18, the same book that tells us we're sealed, Ephesians chapter 1, is the same book that tells us we are to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5 and verse 18, be not drunk with wine, 
We're in his excess. And all the legalistic Baptists say, well, thank God, man. Yeah, amen, brother. Well, that's not the end of the verse. And so you may say, well, I, don't, I never touched this stuff. Well, well the, last, the last part of the verse is equally as important. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Let it have control of your life. Be empowered by it. Be about the mission that only God can do through you through the power of His Holy Spirit. You say, well, I never drink, man. Okay, awesome. Are you filled with the Spirit? <laughs> Are you filled with the Spirit? Just because you don't drink wine, listen, don't be, just because you're not drunk with wine doesn't automatically mean that you're filled with the Spirit. It's a command. How do you get filled with the Spirit? Well, you, you get filled with the Word of God. You, you yield your life to the Spirit of God. And so in our fear, we need the Spirit of God's empowerment. And God knew that. And so the very first time he shows up to his disciples after his resurrection, he points them in the right direction. We still have a mission. You need power to accomplish that mission. And then thirdly, in our fear, and I'll give you the blank and then we'll read the verse, we need to get back to the gospel. In our fear, we need to get back to the gospel. Look at verse 23. It says, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain... They are retained, and, and, and the word remit means to forgive. And so in other words, you know, whoever sins ye forgive, they are, they're forgiven. But whoever sins you retain, uh, that means to hold on to, then they're healed. Now, when you read that verse, you, you can automatically read into the text what's not being said. What's not being said in this, this is not Roman Catholicism where, where Peter himself has the power to forgive sins in other people's lives. Peter's not the first pope. He's not the, the vicar of Christ. And, and, and whoever Peter forgives, their sin is forgiven. And whosoever Peter doesn't forgive and retains their sins, they're not forgiven. That is not what's happening here. As a matter of fact, the verse is very clear. It says in verse 23, whosoever sins, ye remit. Ye is plural. You all. He's talking to the group of disciples. And the point is, they have a message to deliver that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He, he has gained victory over death, hell, and the grave. And these apostles have a mission to carry out that message. And when we, when we preach the gospel, what this is for us, every Christian has the power of John chapter 20 and verse 23, every time you make the gospel available, do you understand that when you share the gospel, people have the opportunity to have their sins forgiven? It's not just, hey, they get to become a Baptist or a religious person. We're not about that. The gospel is the only thing that can forgive a man or a woman or a child of their sin. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we preach the gospel, when we share the gospel, can I just tell you there's opportunity for sins to be forgiven. And three of you believe that. You know, we all believe it for ourselves. We just don't believe it enough to tell other people. We're thankful. I sure am glad God saved me from my sin. Well, how did you get that, by the way? You got it because somebody preached the gospel to you. You got it because somebody stood and said, man, look at, look at what Christ did for you. You're, you were a sinner separated from God. You cannot do anything in your power and in your flesh to make it right to, to remit your sin, to be forgiven. 
And so Christ came and he died and he was buried and he rose again. And if you believe that he's God in the flesh, and if you believe that his finished work on the cross is sufficient to pay your sin penalty, you can be saved. That's how we got it. But listen, that's the message we got to take to other people. <laughs> it blows my mind that, that we so lose the emphasis of the gospel. You know why we do that? Because we're scared. We live in fear. We live in fear. We're, we're, we're all about our salvation. What, what, what we forget is that there's a lost world dying and going to hell. And we have the message of forgiveness. And, and by the way, if we don't take the gospel... Listen, God is still not without witness. He, he reveals himself through creation and through conscience. But can I just tell you that if we don't make the gospel available, men's sins are retained. Romans chapter 10, and, and, and let me just read it for time's sake, but, but many of you know this passage. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anybody ever heard that verse? Have you read the rest of it after that? Look at verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And I'm not talking about the bearded guy in the front of the room. All right? How shall they preach except they be sent? See, you've read that passage too. What did he say in John chapter 20? As my father sent me, even so send I you. We're sent to preach the gospel. The verse goes on and says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. It's the greatest message. Why don't we share it? Why don't we share it? We obviously don't have Jews that we live in fear of. We, we live in the fear of Gentiles. <laughs> we, we live in the fear of uh, what our employer will think. We, we live in fear of maybe what we say with our mouth doesn't match our life. We just live in fear. And God wants to remind us this morning, fear is no excuse. Men are still dying in their sin. And we need to tell them about Christ. It, it, it ought to burden us. It, it, it ought to just keep us up at night. It ought to increase our prayer life to know that there are people that still have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's people that have heard it and heard it and heard it and rejected it and rejected it and rejected it. And we can keep preaching it to them. But I'm telling you, there's a multitude of people that have never heard it. That have never heard it. That live within 10, 15 minutes of this place. That have never heard it. They've never heard it. You say, we're in the Bible Belt. Listen, those days are gone. We're in postmodern Christianity. People don't know who Jesus Christ is. Don't fool yourself. Don't live in some false sense of, 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 of uh, there's no such thing as a Christian nation. There's not a Christian city. Listen, whatever excuse we have to not share the gospel is not good enough. It's just not good enough. We need to be reminded. We need to be on task. Jesus shows up in the disciples' fear, but he points them in the right direction. I understand you're fearful, and that shows us the grace of Jesus Christ, that even when we fear and we get disconnected from the ministry, Jesus still wants to reveal himself to us. But when he shows up, he reminds us of the mission. He gives us his power, and he says, get back to the gospel. Get back to the gospel. Number two, we're going to look at a man named Thomas. Many of you know this part of the story. 
in John chapter 20 and verse 24, the Bible says, and I'll have you follow along in your, in your Bible, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And so if you miss church and you miss the assembling, you miss out. Okay, verse 25, but the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of, of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. In other words, they're assembled together. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. And again, he's offering his peace. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. I mean, literally, the Lord is saying, Okay, Thomas, I heard what you said. Go ahead. I mean, if you need to do that to believe, go ahead. Here's my, here's my hand. Here's my side. He says, Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. By the way, Jesus Christ is God. Oh, Jesus never said he was God. Jesus said he was God over and over, and his disciples said he was God. He never ceased being God. He is God in the flesh. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they which have not seen and yet believed. Okay, so Jesus' first revealing to his disciples was when they were in fear. Jesus' second revelation or revealing to his disciples was when Thomas was without faith. And so here's the key point. Look, in our faithlessness, we need to see Christ. Now, have any of you lived in fear before? Anybody? Has anybody lived in faithlessness before in your walk with Jesus? Okay. Can I, can I just tell you, again, the Lord's gracious and merciful, even in faithlessness, he revealed himself to Thomas. Even in faithlessness, he revealed himself to Thomas. And listen, Thomas was, was one of the 12, man. I mean, he'd been with Jesus the whole ministry, the whole earthly ministry. I mean, when you track his life through the scriptures, and we don't have time, but Thomas had a long-standing problem with just believing the Lord. In John chapter 11, when, when Lazarus died, and Jesus said, I, I was glad I wasn't there so that you can believe because, because Christ is the resurrection, and Jesus says, okay, let's go now, because I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise him from the dead. Then said Thomas, which is called Denimus, unto his fellow disciples. He didn't say this to Jesus. He said it to the rest of the guys. Hey, let us go also that we may die with him. <laughs> That's the kind of guy you want on your team right there. Always the pessimist. Always the critic. Always the guy just not believing that Christ can do what he says he can do. By the way, when they get to Lazarus's grave, the Lord proved that he is the resurrection. He raised him up, right? We, we know the story. But Thomas was, was faithless. I mean, he was critical of Christ at Lazarus's resurrection. When, when Jesus was teaching on the resurrection in John chapter 14, Thomas is questioning Jesus about the resurrection, man. He, he, I mean, Jesus is talking about believing in God and, and I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come again and receive you to myself and all these different things, tremendous promises that Jesus is teaching. And Thomas said, Lord, uh, we know not whither or where thou goest. How can we know the way? And then Jesus said, well, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And we see this pattern in Thomas's life. 
And the truth is the same pattern we have in our life. We've spent time with the Lord. We follow the Lord. We've seen his miracles. We've been a part of ministry. Yet many times we're still faithless. We're still faithless concerning the Lord and his word in our life. And now in John chapter 20, when the disciples say, we have seen Christ, he's like, man, listen, unless I put my finger right in that nail hole and put my hand in his side, I don't believe it. Always doubting, right? He, he has the moniker Doubting Thomas, right? Always doubting. Let me give you a few keys about our doubt as it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number, number one in your notes, look, our doubt tries to make God conform to our standards. When we live in faithlessness, when we live in doubt of God's word, we try to make God conform to our standards. You ever done that? You ever done that? God, I'll only believe if... And you fill in the blank of what the if is. I get the job. I get the girl. I get the raise. I get the car. You get me out of this mess. It's it's the the fleece of Gideon. God, I'll only believe if. And listen, Thomas is responding to to the Lord, basically saying, or, or to the testimony of the Lord saying, listen, except my conditions are met, I will not believe. Well, it begs the question why he wasn't assembled with them in the first place. He wasn't assembled because of his own life and his own fear, so he forsook the, the, the assembling of the, the disciples for his own personal fear. Faithlessness does that in our life. It, it, yields, it tries to make God conform to our standards. The second thing we need to understand is that faith is greater than sight, and faith is what yields a greater blessing. And, and, you know, the Lord said to Thomas, okay, here I am, uh, reach your finger in, And behold my hands and reach your hand in, thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. Okay, so he got what he wanted. Actually, he didn't because he didn't actually touch the Lord. When he saw him, he realized, okay, I was wrong. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus, uh, excuse me, that Thomas believed because he touched Christ. He saw him. I mean, even Jesus said, you believed because you've seen me, not because you touched me. And the point is, we don't need a physical experience to know that the Lord is real. We don't need a touch, an experience, a vision. We don't need Jesus standing at the foot of our bed. The Bible says, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed, because faith always yields the greater blessing. We just need to have the eyes of faith. Hebrews talks about that faith is not some abstract thing. Listen, faith in the Christian life is not just, oh, I hope so, I hope this is true, I hope this is right. No, faith is just believing what God's Word says. That's all faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, according to Hebrews 11 and verse 1. In other words, if you can see it, you don't have to have faith. Faith is not sight. Sight is not faith. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 says that we walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11 and verse 8 says, without faith it's impossible to please Him, to please God. And And so here's the point. Look, even in our faithlessness, the Lord reveals Himself. But the Lord reveals Himself so that we'll believe. And that's how you taint. Listen, we all have an inner Thomas. You have an inner Thomas, I have an inner Thomas that constantly wants to not believe what God says. And the way you overcome that is just belief. Because faith is the doubt killer. It is evidence and it is substance. 
Some people would even say, well, if Jesus is real, why don't he just show up and then I'll believe in him? Atheists say that. Agnostics say that. Even in their lostness, they try to conform God to their standard. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For by, by grace are you saved through, through faith. The message of the gospel is enough. Creation, listen, the evidence of history proves that Jesus Christ is real. The evidence of his eyewitnesses prove that he's real. The evidence of fulfilled scripture prove that he's real. And the evidence of his body, the church of Jesus Christ, prove that he's real. Just believe it. Just believe it. Just believe it based on the authority of scripture. Okay, so Thomas for us, again, the Lord had mercy and grace and revealed himself But he taught Thomas a valuable lesson. The issue is not sight. The issue is faith. And faith always yields the greater blessing in our life. That's what the Lord's looking for. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And and again, uh, it would have been real easy for the Lord to say, you know what, Thomas? You're an idiot. I'm not going to show you that I'm alive. And everybody else gets to see it. The Lord could have done that and been right. But he had mercy and he had grace. And he showed Thomas himself. He revealed himself to Thomas. And then lastly, we'll get to John chapter 21 with the, the hour and a half we have left. If you'll look at verse 1. Oh, oh, are you okay? So I was just checking to see if you're awake today. John chapter 21, verse 1. We're going to look at the life of Peter. And I think this is really cool. Uh, again, studying this this week, reading this, I thought, man, this is, this is pretty awesome. We see the group of disciples living in fear. The Lord shows up. We see Thomas doubting and not having faith. We see the Lord show up. And then we're going to see Peter fishing. John chapter 21, verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. They were together, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee. Uh, that would have been James and John and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And Jay says, Amen. That's actually not what he should have been doing. He should have been being about what the Lord sent him to do, but nevertheless. And they said unto him, we go also with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship and immediately, and at that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore and the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, no. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship. And you shall find, and they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's always John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, saith unto Peter, it's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat upon him, for he was naked, and he had cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, uh, but as it were, about 200 cubits, that's about 300 feet uh, or 100 yards, okay, dragging the net with the fishes. And as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish lay thereupon and bread. And Jesus said unto them, Bring the fish which ye have caught. Now Simon went up, Simon Peter went up, and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, 153. For all that were uh, so many, yet the net was not broken. And Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples does ask, Who, who art thou, Lord? Knowing it was the Lord. Then, uh, excuse me, Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. Now, this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples 
after he was risen from the dead. So we see Christ showing up in fear. We see see Christ showing up in faithlessness. Lastly, we see Christ showing up in the midst of failure. And the reason I call it failure is because instead of being obedient to what the Lord had said when he was assembled with them in Matthew chapter, or excuse me, John chapter 20, even as my Father hath sent me, even even so send I you. Instead of doing that, Peter reverts back to his old life, his old ways, what he's comfortable with, what he was good at, fishing. He goes back to fishing, and oh, by the way, his influence affected six of the other disciples, because there were seven total on that boat or in those ships. And yet, in his failure and in his, you could even say, disobedience, man, the Lord shows up. The Lord revealed himself to those, to the, to those disciples and, and specifically to Peter because at the end of that chapter, he deals with Peter, hey, do you love me? Feed my sheep. That, that's kind of what's happening in that chapter. So what's interesting to me is, that, and just a couple of points when we're done, look, in our failure, we need to realize Christ reveals himself. Your failure is not meant to be final, okay? That's not on the blank. That's not the, the point. But, but the point is, and, and we need to be reminded that in our failure, we need to see Jesus' power. You know, Peter, like many of us, was no stranger to operating in the power of his flesh. I mean, do you remember Peter? Have you read about Peter in the Bible? Are you kidding me? Peter's the guy that rebuked the Lord under Satan's influence, right? So much so that the Lord looked at Peter and said, Get thee behind me. You read the story too. I mean, listen, (laughs) operating in the power of his flesh, rebuking Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? He denied Christ three times. At, his, at, his, at his, his mock trial and his crucifixion, Peter is the guy that when they showed up to get Christ, when Judas showed up with the soldier, Peter's the guy that pulled out the sword and cut off the high priest's servant's ear, operating in the power of his flesh, trying to kill a man. Peter's the guy that had been fishing all night and caught nothing. Do you know Why? Because in the power of our flesh, it profits nothing. It it profits nothing, even when they realized it was Jesus on the shore. I mean, he's naked. He throws his fisherman coat on, naked meaning he doesn't, he still has his undergarments on, but he wraps his fisherman's coat on him and he jumps in the water and swims a hundred yards. Now, can you do that? Listen, like if I swim to the end of this room, I'm going to need some help. Give me some oxygen, please. I mean, I'm going to float halfway and swim the rest. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to get on my back and like do the, do the survivor float. And then like, that's it. That's all I got. This dude, in the power of his flesh, swam 100 yards to the shore in the power of his flesh. What he needed to realize was that he needed Jesus' Jesus's power in his life. He, he, he needed to heed God's word. As they're fishing and they caught nothing, Jesus gives direction, cast the net on the right side. And they'd fished all night because professional fishermen know that that's when you catch fish. And they'd fished all night and they caught nothing. And then the Lord said, you ca- it's in the morning. And the Lord said, no, they just throw the net on the right side. And they did. And then they caught 153 fish. They were so big, they couldn't even hoist the net into the ship. So they had to be at least four pounders each, right, Jack? I mean, they had to be four or five pounders each. I mean, they, they, these were not like... 
Uh, Hedden's not in here. Okay, so I can't pick on Hedden. <laughs> 153 fish that were so heavy they couldn't hoist the net into the boat. You know why that happened? Because they did it based on Jesus' word. Jesus' power is connected to his word. In our human wisdom, we can't do anything. We can't catch anything. We can't profit God anything. But when we're obedient to God's word, that's what brings results. That's what brings results. I mean, without him, we can do nothing. He tells us that in John 15, verses 4 and 5. He, he tells us that he's the vine, we're the branches. We have to abide in him because without him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. Can you go back to verse 10? This is really kind of wacky. If, if you read it just plainly, the way that the Bible tells it, verse 10. So Jesus is on the shore. The other guys come in the ships. They've drugged the net to the to to the you know to where the ships are but they haven't pulled the net onto the land yet so so imagine the net still being tied to the boat that's in the water with all the fish in it verse 10 Jesus saith unto them unto who them that's plural right bring of the fish which ye have now caught now how many of them listen to what he said just one a guy named Simon Peter Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 153. Now, wait a second. It, when they were in the ship, they couldn't even lift the net out of the water into the ship. And now the Lord says, hey, go get some of the fish out of the net. And, and the one guy that responded to Jesus' word was Simon Peter. And Simon Peter himself drew the net to the land himself. You say, how did he do that? He did it out of faith and obedience to God's word. You see, what, what he could not do in his flesh, he could only do in the power of God's spirit in obedience to his word. And, and, and listen, Peter, Pete, man, listen, it's, it's so heavy that the word of God tells you explicitly that the net probably should have broke, but the net didn't break. And so the point is, listen, the net was so strong or so full of fish that it couldn't be drawn into the ships while they were at sea. They, they drug it back to the bank. But it's Peter operating in faith on Jesus' word that brought the net of fish, 153, to the land by himself. Here's what we need to realize. In our flesh, we'll always fail. We'll always fail in the power of our flesh. But in faith in God's word, we'll always find success. By the way, when you read the book of Acts, Peter continued to catch fish, but it wasn't fish from the sea, it was men. It was 3,000 and then 5,000 as he's preaching the gospel. People are responding, and guess what? The net didn't break because he believed what God had gifted him to do. We need to, we need to be reminded of Jesus' power. In our failure, we need to re remind ourselves that only Christ can do the work through us, and he gets the glory. Number two... In our failure, we need Christ's provision, and this is where we'll end. We need Christ's provision. So the Bible says in verse 9, as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. Remember, this is the morning time. This is not an uncommon breakfast uh, for people in this culture and in this time uh, to eat fish. Um, Jesus said to them, come and dine. And none of the disciples asked, dost asked, who art thou, knowing it was the Lord, 
Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth to them and fish likewise. And so here's the point. Even in our failure, we need Christ's provision. What do do I I mean by that? Even in our failure, Christ offers fellowship. He's offering restoration. And I think what's interesting in in this text is two things. Number one, it's the offer of fish. As you study Christ's earthly ministry, uh, and again, geographically and culturally and historically, I understand the significance. Uh, but, but listen, Peter would have experienced fish all the way through his time with Christ and his earthly ministry. In Luke chapter 5, when they were on ships, Jesus said, let down uh, the nets, and they let down the one net. And, and there was such a great multitude of fishes that the net break. You know, you remember that story in Luke chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 17, when, when they were to pay tribute money to Caesar, Jesus tells Peter, go find a fish, and there'll be a coin in his mouth. Je- Jesus had Peter and the rest of the d- disciples as a part of the feeding of the 5,000, as a part of the feeding of the 4,000. That, that offer of fish from Christ on the shore, I believe, is a reminder of Christ's provision in Peter's life. It's a reminder that, listen, you've seen this miracle over and over and over again. You've been a part of all these miracles connected with fish, Peter. You need to understand that I'm the one that can provide. No matter how insignificant it may seem, I am the one that provides. Listen, the Lord had caught some fish that day and prepared it for them to give them provision. The second thing that's mentioned is when he says, come and dine, he, there's, a coal, there, there's a fire of coals there. There's a fire of coals. And, and if you know Peter, you know that he's had some experience with a fire of coals. Back in John chapter 18, when the Lord was betrayed and, and was being mock, mockly, or wrongly accused and mocked, uh, ultimately to be beaten and then crucified, it was during Peter's denial of Christ that he stood by a fire of coals because he was cold. And he warmed himself. And I guarantee you, man, listen, they're, they're on that beach, on that shore that day of the seaside, the Lord's provision of fish and the Lord's fire of coals would have been a reminder to Peter, you've experienced some failure, but I still want fellowship with you. I still want fellowship with you. He, he says to him, come and dine. Come and dine. And, and can I just tell you, listen, We've all failed. We've all fall short. We, we, even as believers in Christ, as disciples of Christ, we've, we've, we've experienced fear and faithlessness and even failure. Can I just remind you, the Lord still has an invitation for you. Come and dine. He, he wants fellowship with you. He wants it in the morning. And listen, Christ's provision was provided to these disciples in the morning. It was fish and bread, fish and chips, you know, over a coal of fire. And God tells us over and over in in the Word of God, if we'll seek Him early in the morning, we'll find Him. You know, most of us, if if we'd be honest, we don't seek the Lord early. We we seek Him last minute, if at all. Right? Kind of put the bow on the end of the day. Got to get my Bible reading in. Got to, you know, got to do the Christian thing. I wonder if we wouldn't do well to seek him first thing. I wonder if maybe his invitation for fellowship, his provision isn't available first thing in the morning. God, God help us to, to not live a day without the provision that we need from God himself. 
That means that we're living it in the power of our flesh. And God is reminding us, listen, you're going to fail when you do that, and I've got something for you that's going to help you. It's my provision that's prepared for you. All you have to do is seek it. All you have to do is seek it. Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Proverbs 8, verse 17, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. And I'm not trying to be legalistic and say, man, if you don't get up before the crack of dawn and read your Bible, you're not right with God. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is God has provision prepared for us, and the only way we're going to find it is if we seek it. Those boys had fished all night, caught nothing. Now, listen, you know, those of you that fish, you know that you always pack snacks. You know, if Josh Hammond were here, he would say, you pack the Vienna sausages. That's a little gross. Peanut butter and crackers, that works fine too. You don't have to take the Vienna sausages. But you pack a snack, man, because it's toilsome, it's, it's labor, you're working, and these guys have fished all night, and there was no provision in the power of their flesh. And yet Christ offered provision. Come and dine, come and dine. This is the third time that he showed himself to his disciples. You say, what does all that mean? Well, what it means is, number one, if we find ourselves living in fear, can I encourage you that the Lord wants to reveal himself to you? He's not far from you. He, he wants you to be filled with his Holy Spirit, and he wants you to be about his mission. And, and the cure for your fear is faith. That's, that's, the, that's the cure. That's, the, that's the, the fear destroyer. It's faith. You, you can pay attention to Fox News and CNN and Drudge and everything else and even Newsmax for the conservatives in the room. But until we start having faith in what Christ says, we'll continue to live in fear. And we won't be about his mission. Number two, God will reveal himself to us in our faithlessness. Thomas is a great example. We don't deserve that. But even when we're faithless, we can still see God moving in our life. And that's to spur us on to believe him moving forward. And then thirdly, listen, in our failure, Christ offers fellowship. He offers fellowship. He, come and dine. Listen, come and dine. Aren't you tired of living in your flesh? Can, can, you, can we all agree that that really is like a loathsome experience and existence for a Christian? Aren't you just tired of toiling all night in the power of your flesh? Can we just surrender to Christ? Can we just surrender to him? Have fellowship with him? Have his provision in our life? I think that's what the Lord wants for us. I really believe that.